out. Some people think it's nothing. Some people think it's everything. We just are going to decide on our own. We want protection. We want someone to guard, guide, and direct us, right? Isn't that the prayer that we always offer? We want God to take away all viruses, virusi, viruses, all sickness. We want someone else to take care of us. And that's really what we want, is for someone to take care of us. We want to look back at a time in the Bible that I think this describes where we are. Not necessarily with, this is a larger view of what the Bible is saying. Not necessarily with just this current situation, but with your whole life. And the period of time is the period of the judges. It's the last judge. It's where Samuel has lived and been judge over Israel. And he's gotten old and people have come to him. The period of the judges, they had a law. They had priests. They had prophets. They had people who were able to rescue them if they were ever in trouble. But there wasn't a person who just took care of them. It was up to them to do this on their own. They were able to have their own land and do their own things. And yeah, if you need, there's maybe a judge you can go to if you ever have an objection or a problem with someone else. But the, really the idea was that you're just going to be a good person. They're going to be a good person. Why would there ever be a problem? All we have to do is follow what God said. We have law of Moses. We have all the things that God wants. We have prophets. We have a judge if we need it, but we shouldn't need it. Well, that's a very great idea for a great society where everyone's peaceful and everyone gets along, but it just has not been able to exist. And so there has been judge after judge after judge able to rescue them when they went into sin. Because they didn't always follow God. They were these rebellious people. They were people who didn't listen to exactly what God said. And so they were doing whatever they wanted. And the judge would come and he would deliver them from the trouble that they had and deliver them and bring them back. And as long as that judge stayed, generally they were good. But when that judge died, there wasn't another judge appointed. He was just there if there was a problem. And since now they have been rescued and they have been delivered, just let's start over and everybody be good and live on your own. And they just couldn't do it. There was no one to call them together if there was a fight. There was no one to call them together if there was something to build. And so they didn't have anything like that. And the people decided that they wanted a king. Samuel is the last of the judges. Let's look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Start with me in verse 4. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel, and when he said, Give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that I have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also are doing with you. 
So then I'll then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly swear to them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so the elders come to Samuel and they say to Samuel, you're old. Now, if you've got a few years, that's probably not an uncommon statement. Your kids probably tell you that all, that all the time. Dad, you're old. Certainly not my children, of course. Uh, yeah. But they want a change. They want something different because what they have had has not been working. And they can look at the nations around them and they can say, what we want is a king like them. What we want is to be like they are. And so they ask for him to appoint a king, which is interesting because they didn't have an option for a king. It wasn't like they had someone there that they were proposing. They recognized Samuel's authority and it's Samuel, we want you to appoint us a king because after all, you're the man of God. The king would have the say. The king would have the responsibility. The king would control the army. He would control the finances. There would be someone over them to protect them. Wouldn't that be great? Someone else that you just turn everything over to them, say, well, it's not my problem. We'll just send this to the king. But also someone to allow us. Yeah, to give us permission like mom and dad are over the house and you can go to mom and mom says no and you go to dad and dad says no. So then you call grandma, right? And you say, but I really need this. And grandma's always will give you what you want. And so it's someone to allow us and to give us permission. And that's what we see happening a lot with the kings is they would then give them permission to worship idols. They would give them permission to do things that God said aren't right. Well, is that the way the king should behave? Well, of course not. And so it was a rejection of Samuel. It was a rejection of God to rule over them. Uh, Samuel had not taught his children to be judges after him. And they recognized that his children are not good leaders. And I guess Samuel may recognize that too. He was intending to put them in, but they're not good leaders but really, historically, that wasn't the way things went. It wasn't that the judge found his children or raised his children. God's the one who raised up judges. And you have very different judges like Gideon and Samson and Deborah and all of those who are such completely different type of people, depending on the deliverance that was needed at the time. And so it was never really the place of a judge to provide a successor to himself. They were just supposed to do it on their own. And Samuel is the last. Because God is not intending to keep doing this forever. It isn't like, you know, I'm going to deliver you and then you're going to go away and sin and I'll bring you back. And you're going to sin and I'll bring you back. And you're going to sin and I'll bring you back. You know, after a dozen times, it's like, maybe we ought to try something else because this obviously isn't working. So why does God agree to this? Well, I think God agrees for two reasons. The first one being, they are rebellious, and they have always been rebellious. And that's really what happens with them. They have always been rebellious, and they are not going to follow. They're not going to obey God. And so a change is needed. Something needs to be different. Samuel is the last one. The other reason is, 
because God wants a king. Now, it's kind of odd that it seems up to the people to be able to say to God, we want a king, as if they're rebelling against him. But I think maybe that's what's critical and essential, is for them to actually want a king. Because are you going to obey a king that you don't want? Somebody just appointed him as king, and no, you're going to want a king. And so that's why this is so important that he... They want a king, and God has had this in mind all along, ever since the very beginning, because we see this as the plan that unfolds all the way through the Bible. We don't do well on our own, and when we're just left on our own, God shows us that you don't do well, not just once, but multiple times through this. And so why is this significant? Well, this is about our relationship with God. I don't mean just the Old Testament back in Samuel's day. I mean, this is about our relationship with God and about how God wants us to do this. And so how does God want us to have a relationship? We're able to see Jesus as the high priest, as, as Dallas mentioned in his communion talk. We're able to see Jesus as the Son of God. The other major thing in Scripture is Jesus is King. And for some reason, we completely ignore that one. And we don't even talk about it very much. And so what is the place of a king? What does that mean? Well, in the Near East, relations between a king and deity were just understood. That there was a connection between the king and God. Now, depending on the kingdom, it had different things. It was the king was viewed either as divine or as a representative of God or the Son of God. It was God's rule on earth, and so they understood this. In Egypt, there was a Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh was considered to be God. He was God himself, and if there was a Pharaoh or a king over Egypt, that was going to be God. And so they understood this and recognized this among themselves. And so when they're asking for this, it's a closer way for God to be on earth with them. In Mesopotamia, they had several gods in several different areas. There might be a god over one part or one thing, and then they somehow all went as a conglomerate to make God. And so there was a way of understanding that these were all gods, and there were multiple. The Sumerian, there was a king who was seen to be the son of God, and he was God's representative on earth. And kings kept the wish of God and carried out the will of God who was in heaven. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hammurabi changes everything. When he begins to develop something different, a law and a code that is going to describe the behavior of the people within his kingdom. And so it's not just a matter of, well, do whatever you want and we'll judge you later. It's a matter of, no, everyone has this code of ethics and this code of law so that they know what they're supposed to do. And so they did see this going on around them. Kings are different than prophets or judges. And so judges would deliver out of the present distress. A prophet would be able to speak for God and give them the word of God. And judges and prophets tried to set morals and tried to set ethics, but they actually could not carry it out because they had no authority. 
And the people didn't recognize them as having that kind of authority. And so very often you will see a very strong prophet, a righteous man, and the nation around him is completely away from God. And he is unable to convince them or to change it. When they're first coming into the promised land, Joshua tells them at the end of his book, I want you to choose who you will serve. You can serve the idols, you can serve the true God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a great thing for Joshua to be able to say. But I think you have to realize that was only for Joshua's time when that was a possibility. You see, by the time they have a king, they don't get to choose who's God. The king will tell them who's God because the king has all authority. The king will choose for them. They don't make the choice. Some kings were good. Some kings were not good. The practice of the people was to follow the king. And the nation went according to how the king went. And so you see a king with great authority who would be able to direct his nation in any certain way. There were no bad kings over a nation of faithful people. It just does not happen. If the king was bad, all of the people were bad. If the king was good, he could bring about enough reform to make the people good. And it did take a lot to bring about that kind of reform. And so the king has authority that a judge or a prophet just didn't have. And this is why it's so important to understand this concept of a king. Kings set direction. They set behavior for a nation. They decide, here's the way things are going to go. Here's what we're going to be doing. They decide when to attack, when to expand borders. They decide all of the religious things about them. The king decides which God they're going to serve. And kings were left to develop a legacy after them. It was expected that the king's son would be trained and raised up in order to sit on his father's throne. And so it isn't like they would just suddenly be lost and, oh no, our king died. What are we going to do? There's no one. No, the king was expecting to raise his children that way, and the people expected this. And so it was seen that they could train up a king, and that there would be this dynasty, and that there would be morals and ethics and tone for all of these people. It was, it was not a democracy where they could choose. After all, it's a monarchy. And the king decides everything. And the king would demand complete obedience he would have complete rule over his people. Well, some kings are stronger than others. And everyone has their own personality. And so as you look at the different kings, you're going to see different ways in which they were able to reign. The first king that we have is Saul. And Saul looked like a king. He was one that stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He was handsome. He was striking. He, he didn't always do exactly what God said. God had chosen him. God had appointed him. It, it took a little bit of convincing for him to come. And so he was there for God. But he didn't do everything that God said. At least... If he did do it, he didn't do it the way that God wanted. And so 
he was supposed to wait for Samuel to offer a sacrifice, but there's an army coming and the people are deserting and he's got a battle to fight and there's all this pressure on him. You've got to do something. You've got to do something. And after all, he's the king. Nobody has any authority but just the king. And so now it's all this pressure on them about you've got to decide. And so he goes ahead and offers the sacrifice. In 1 Samuel 13, we see this. It says, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For when the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not commit kept the command of what the Lord commanded you. And so Saul had been very hasty in offering this sacrifice. He was not the one to offer sacrifices. That was the priest or Samuel who was coming. And so Samuel was delayed and Saul panicked basically because he felt all the pressure of the people. And as soon as he does, Samuel shows up. And so God rejects him from being king. You should have obeyed. You get to those really intense circumstances and those really difficult times, and that's when it's a matter of can the leader actually follow God or not. God says, I would have established your kingdom forever. And God doesn't say that without it being a normal thing. So the king is to follow God, and the people are then to follow the king. And what I want you to realize is this is the plan of God and the way he wants this relationship to be from then on. He's looking for a different king. He's looking for a king that follows him, that follows God. He's looking for a king that's a man after his own heart, a man who is obedient to God, a king that works with God to reign. He's not the one making all the difference. That new king would be David. And so we have Saul as the first king who's able to start at least. But he just didn't have quite the dedication. And then God decides, I want a different king. A, a king who's maybe not the one who looks like the greatest king. And so David is, is appointed perhaps when he's very, very young. Before he has experience. But he is chosen and he is anointed and David is the man after God's heart. And David has the courage to act. David has the courage and support of the people. David is a warrior, and so he's able to go out and fight. And he fights for God. He will not attack without God saying yes. He will not kill God's anointed, even though it's his enemy. David is also a musician. He writes a lot of songs. David is also a poet. He writes a lot of the psalms that were later put to music. He writes the song of the early church, basically. He wrote their songbook. And so he has put a man like this in the place where he is going to be king. David is a leader. He's a natural leader. He knows how to lead God's people. And David has the spirit of God in him. That Holy Spirit for inspiration and to know how to be king. David is not, however, the end and the goal of what God wanted. 
David is just the beginning of what God wanted. And God gives us what he's doing so that we can see how this works out. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but just think with me for a minute. As you look at the whole scope of the Bible, you have just a couple of people that really stand out. One of those is Abraham, and Abraham is seen as a man of faith. And Abraham's faith is, is talked about all the way through the Bible. The people in Jesus' time are saying, we're children of Abraham. Well, they're going back and pointing to Abraham. Abraham is the guy who God said to offer up his son. And you see resurrection unfolding as you watch Abraham struggle with his concept of offering his son. And so he believes in resurrection. The second one that is so huge in the Old Testament is a good king like David. That one is so big, it is all the way through the rest of Scripture. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus talks about a kingdom. Jesus talks about what it means to be king. Jesus talks about this kingdom and how people would behave in this kingdom. And so every person after David was sitting on the throne of David. Not their own throne? No. In fact, God didn't treat them according to their own time. God treated them because of his servant David. He would forgive or not punish. And so you look at these and these two guys throughout all of Scripture, throughout the whole history, you're able to see how these are overriding principles. In Psalm 132, I want you to see this part. It's a psalm of ascent that was written as they would go up to the temple to take of the Passover. Verses 11 and 12. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Well, David was faithful to God. And some of his sons afterward were faithful. And we see how God blesses their kingdom and how God was there to deliver them and to rescue them and to provide for them. And some of David's sons were not so good. And you see that they end up with disaster as well. David was not sinless. I'm not trying to say that at all. And so David is perhaps one that we can look to, but David was not sinless. The one thing about David is that he was a man after God's heart. He was a man who was like God. He was a man who had the promise of God. And God said, this will be forever. And he meant that. And that goes clear down to our time. And this is why it's so critical for us that we would understand this because God has not changed his mind in our time. It's not like we've come to modern day and, oh, it's completely different now. From the time of David, he said, this is the relationship I want. It's all the way through Scripture. And, yeah, there's a different covenant that comes in with Jesus. But Jesus is the one who sits on the throne of David. He is king. And that's how we're to treat him. And that's what it is all about. So let me just ask, do you want a king? 
Maybe you haven't thought about it. Israel didn't want a king. I mean, they seemed to want a king, but they didn't want a king who was going to make them always do things that are right. And we're not maybe always sure we want a king. Why do we not talk about Jesus as being king? I mean, sometimes we do. A few times, but it really isn't one of our major themes that we have. We reduce the gospel to something about salvation and it leads us to a very self-centered or self-focused salvation about, well, God will save me and it's my personal relationship with God and I don't care about any of the rest of you, but it's all about me. And what he really wanted is for Jesus to be king. We think about the church and the coming of the church as more of a democracy, right? I mean, we have elders, and so we put the elders in charge. And what that really means is all the rest of us can pressure the elders into doing what we want, right? Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? And the elders get all of this pressure, right, Chuck? They get all this pressure and all these people talking to them, and now they have to decide on something. Not what God intended, it is not a democracy. It is a monarchy. And Jesus is king. And you can pressure the elders all you want to. No, I shouldn't say that. Please don't pressure the elders. Because they serve Jesus. And they're not going to do anything different than just follow Jesus. Because he is king. He has all authority. And he sits on the throne of David we do what he says, and he rules. That's what makes it all the difference. So let me just ask, who rules your life? Has it been God ruling your life? Are you ruled by fear? And so our current situation has made you scared to get out of the house. You don't even want to go anywhere from now on. Do you wish you had a king who'd just take care of all that? I mean, he would take care of all that. You wouldn't have to worry about a single virus or disease or whether it's spread or how it gets spread. You've got a king to worry about all of that. Can we just say we'll accept Jesus as our king and that we'll let him do that? Are we ruled by faith? So that we can recognize Jesus and believe in him and that we would follow him. At the very end of his life in Matthew 28, we see this passage that Jesus gives to his disciples. He's already been resurrected and he comes back to his disciples and he says, Now the eleven went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Authority on heaven, authority on earth. And Jesus was raised from the dead to sit on the throne the right hand of the throne of God. And he rules from heaven. He is king. 
And this is what he tells his disciples. Here's what I wanted. Here's where I am going to be. And I have all authority. Now we can maybe choose whether we're going to do that or not. We can choose whether we're going to want him as a king or accept him as a king. And he gives us some instructions here. This is what we're supposed to do. He's going to be king. And we can become his disciples. It involves baptism. Washing away of sin and a cleansing that now allows us to be part of this kingdom that Jesus has. It also involves in us doing what he's commanded. Because after all, he's the king. He has authority for this. It's not just another prophet giving you advice. It's not just a preacher that you can ignore and fall asleep in your home. Yeah, you didn't think I saw that, did you? You're sitting there in your pajamas and uh, we all know how this part's going. Jesus has authority. He is the king. And he has authority to do this. And Jesus has promised he'll be with us always. The man after God's own heart is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who sits on the throne of David. And he is always and forever, ever since the beginning, this is the plan of God that he would be king. And I think perhaps today we just don't recognize him as being king and we think we can do whatever we want. But maybe we need that kind of protection. He will be with us through a virus. He will be with us through our fears. He will be with us through the worst times. He will always be with us. We'll talk more about Jesus being king in the next few weeks. For today, I, I want you to think about this. Do you want him to be your king? Are you willing to accept him in being your king? And it involves discipleship, and it involves baptism, and it involves learning his commands, and it involves also then taking those things to other people, because that's what your king has commanded. That's what he said. And we are subjects of King Jesus. So when you read your Bible this week, I want you to look for every time it talks about a king or a kingdom. And if you're in the New Testament, you're going to run across it. You look at the teaching of Jesus and he talks about what his kingdom is like. And if you're going to accept him as king, follow those instructions. We all know we can ignore the preacher, but don't ever ignore your king. He has authority. And so do you want a king? We can have a great kingdom. And especially when our hearts are like Jesus. Because as David was a man after God's own heart, Jesus is a man after God's own heart. And he is teaching us to be people who also have God's heart.